0: Welcome to Hashtags and Stilettos with Sakita Holly, the podcast that's like having your own personal publicist in your pocket, sharing business, lifestyle, and PR tips on demand. If you're talking about this episode online, use the hashtag Hashtags and Stilettos and tag me at Miss Success, that's M-I-S-S success on both Twitter and Instagram. On today's episode, I'll be answering 10 of your questions about how to navigate the waters of brand partnerships. I'll be drawing from my own expertise, having literally been on both sides of the coin as someone who has successfully pitched for partnerships for my personal ventures and as a PR agency owner who facilitates partnerships on behalf of our clients. If you haven't already listened to episode 33, the five things you should know about brand partnerships, make a mental note to hit play. Play on that right after this. And make sure you have your notebooks ready because I share some really unconventional gems in that episode. Before I jump into the first question, I want to remind you that if you ever have any comments or questions for me or any of my guests, you can always shoot me an email to hashtags with an S at hos-pr.com. I will also encourage you to listen to each of the questions and answers and figure out how you can apply it and make it relevant to your own situation. Okay, let's get into question number one. I am a book reviewer on YouTube where I review all kinds of books, but to set myself apart, I've been focusing on what I really love, which is coffee table books. What do I need to start doing to become an authority on coffee table books? And how do I apply your brand partnership tips from a book reviewer angle? I have reached out to book publishers and have been told many times, my audience isn't big enough. When it comes to being an authority, an expert, or an influencer, a lot of people are waiting for someone else to bestow that title on them or see them as such, when in reality, to become an authority in your field of choice, you just have to do the work consistently and well over a long period of time. If you think about your favorite gurus or experts or like people you turn to for their advice or wisdom or whatever, when they started out, no one regarded them as an expert. No one regarded them as an authority Take Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V as an example. When he started Wine Library TV, he was working out of his family's wine store, but there was nobody on the internet or anywhere looking for him or to him to tell them about wine. But even when his audience was non-existent, even when his audience was small, he continued to show up in front of that camera the, the content at that time wasn't super polished and he created his content until slowly but surely his audience started growing because people started to value and trust his opinion on wine. And when he decided to transition into talking about business and marketing, he was able to attract an entirely new audience the exact same way through consistency and, you know, being passionate and actually knowing what he's talking about. But there were still some skeptics. But imagine if he had this idea all those years ago to do a YouTube series, but he didn't want to do it because he was worried up front about not being, quote unquote, in authority. So going back to you as someone who is passionate about reviewing books, keep going. It doesn't matter if the publishers don't think your audience is big today. As long as you don't give up, you have nothing but opportunity in front of you to grow your audience and to gain the attention of these publishers who once rejected you. So keep reviewing books, keep growing your audience by engaging with them. That means every single comment, tweet, Instagram, question, comment, DM, respond to every single thing initiate conversation. Don't even wait for them to respond. If you see the same people liking your content, reach out to them and say, hey, what what do you love the most about my reviews? You know, start a conversation. Talk to them. Ask them to share your content with someone else who may find your content interesting. And every time you do a review video, every time you post your content, I would send it to the publishing house, the author, the author's agent, the author's publicist. You 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 feel where I'm going with this? Let them know that you're I mean, don't get crazy with it. Don't like an, be annoying, but let them know that you're out here talking about them. Even if they never reply initially, all of that outreach will get you on their radar, which can lead to opportunities down the line. And since publishers don't want to send you books or anything else right now, Make the library your best friend. This way you can save some coins, but still have the latest reviews as soon as they come out because libraries get be- um, new books as soon as the bookstore get them. So make sure you are signing up for whatever sign up they have so that you can reserve books immediately as soon as they come out and keep doing what you're doing until people kind of catch up to the value that you've been, you know, putting out there from the very beginning. Question number two, how do you show a company your value with low social media or website engagement? Should you wait until you build a solid audience? I think you should first ask yourself, why do you want a company or brand to pay attention to you at all? Figure out what your end game is, what you want, before you even start thinking about getting a brand's attention. A lot of people are starting to believe or or see social media as this place that you kind of peacock and put on until you get a brand's attention. Why? So that they can send you free stuff? So that they can invite you to exclusive places or fly you out to events? What do you want? If you already have those questions answered and let's say you're building your personal brand as a self-taught chef, you're just starting out, you have a modest social media following community. Every time you create a new recipe or a piece of food content, Just like I told the the previous person about the reaching out to the publishers, every time you create a new recipe or piece of food content, you should be reaching out to any of the brands that you feature, tagging them, sending it to them, letting them know that you included their product. And if people respond favorably, share those positive responses. Or if it gets negative responses, that's really great feedback for the brand. So share that as well. You know, the idea is really to, create a dialogue to get on their radar before you need or want to make an ask of them, right? Because if you're committed to whatever your chosen craft is, your audience is going to grow and then the brand, the brand reps that you reached out to and established relationships with early on will have had a front row seat to this growth and they'll know that it's authentic and that you're authentic and that you're truly passionate and care about what you're doing and you're not just in it for handouts. And they'll be more inclined to want to work with you on future projects. So I know that this advice is counter to what a lot of people are currently like saying and doing, because there's so many people out there that are like, I ain't tagging no brand or talking about no brand that don't pay me. And I'm like, if you take that approach, okay, girl, I, I guess, <laughs> but I'm telling you that is you're missing out on a huge opportunity to build meaningful relationships relationships. And relationships are crucial to your future profitability. Question number three, is a media kit necessary? This is an interesting question only because I see so many useless, completely useless, pointless media kits that I want to say no, it's not necessary. But instead of that, I'll say that it depends, right? Because I'm going to have to do a separate episode on media kits and what should be in them, what what you can leave out. But really, it's all about providing a brand with all of the information that they need in, in the medium in which you do it can vary. I have done deals, I've done all my personal deals without a media kit. I just, I know how to pitch and put things in email. I've also, you know... Done deals, been on the other side of deals when people have had great media kits and people have had no media kit at all, or they had one that I just didn't pay attention to because I didn't need to. But a well designed, up to date media kit can certainly save you a lot of time and effort when reaching out, but it's not a substitute from actually establishing a real dialogue with the person on the other end of the email, right? A lot of times people will design this super fly media kit, it'll be perfect, it'll have everything in it, but then they'll say, hey, I'm such and such, I want to work with your brand, look at my media kit and, you know, let me know what you're trying to do. What? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's just not the way that it works. You know, a great media kit is not a substitute for writing a really thoughtful email that gives people an idea of who you are, what you've done and what you're looking to do with them. You know, and it's it's really about the relationship. Going back to what I just said a few minutes ago, relationships are key. So never think that this document that you created is what's going to get you the deal. Like all the work that you've done, that's amazing, but it's really about you, the person. So there's a lot of pros and cons to using media kits, but there's still another layer of work that needs to be done and kind of go into the pitch process when you're looking to establish a connection or a relationship with the brand. So when it comes to media kits, as long as the other person is getting the information that they need, the medium can vary. So if you don't know what you're doing with media kits and you've kind of Googled and you still haven't quite figured it out, Don't worry, you can still make some things happen. Question number four is, do you recommend seeking local brands before reaching out regionally or nationally? This is another it depends question because everything you do, listen closely, everything you do should be strategic, It should be connected to a genuine and authentic purpose. For instance, let's say you're based in New York, but your audience, as shown by analytics and the data that you have access to, is primarily based in Philadelphia, right? So you could plan to do a meetup there, and in that case, it would make perfect sense to want to partner with a local Philly brand, such as a hotel or a cheesesteak spot, That just made me so hungry. (laughs) Or another local establishment. A lot of times, people reach out to say they want to work with a brand because they like it, or that brand is working with other people, so they think, oh, they must have some money. But when it comes to being strategic, think about the value that you can provide the brand. So if I go to a Philly establishment and I say that, look, I have 100, I have 50, I have 75, I have 200 highly engaged men and women who live within a 10 mile radius from your business and I can bring them directly to you. Now we're talking. So as it relates to working with local versus national brands, it's all about the value you can bring to the table and the why. It's not so much about what you're trying to do. Like, yeah, you have an event, you're trying to get some money, or yeah, you want to create more content and you want to do this sponsor series. That's cool. But when you're thinking about the types of brands to contact, why is going to be important? Why them? What value can you add what can you do for them and having a lot of followers cannot be your why like i wish somebody would like put that on the new new testament bible like the bible the new new testament should be called it's not your followers sweetie it's you <laughs> like do better because there's so many people who who use their audience size as their entire pitch and i'm like can you please like just Just go away because that's just not how it works. So back to the question, do I recommend seeking out local brands versus regional or national brands? It's all about the strategy. What makes the most sense? Think about it in those terms. And figure out what value you add so that you can communicate that clearly so that the brand will say, oh, this may, you know, OK, cool. You can bring these people to me. And these are customers that will likely be able to come back to my business because they live around the corner. Absolutely. Let's do it. Question number five of 10. We're about halfway through, so we making good time. I am a photographer and I'm working on a photo movement project. I've reached out to Polaroid for a brand partnership and their response was, while we would love to be able to form a partnership, our marketing and sponsorship budget has been allocated and we will be unable to support. Should I reach back out being that it's a new year or is it too soon? As I mentioned earlier, Even if you aren't working with the brand in an official capacity because they passed or, you know, you just weren't able to secure the deal, if you're using their product or you're looking to establish a relationship, I think it's a really great idea to find someone within the company who you can send your final photo project to. Maybe it's the person that responded to you just to show that you've completed it. You've done what you said you were going to do with or without them and and you give them an example of the kind of work that you do this helps to keep the lines of communication open a lot of times people hear no and one they may not even have gotten the explanation as to why the answer was no but once they hear that no they're like okay well cool I ain't never calling y'all again I'm never asking and it's like that the you don't even know what the no is there's there could be a million different reasons and that's where people kind of mess up going back to what I said about relationships you want to keep the lines of communication open a, a delay does not have to be a denial it can be a no today in a month from now you could be in there so also, I, w- I want to say, like, think about whether or not the brand, you know, you mentioned is actually a good fit or the ba- the brand that turned you down is the right fit. Are they already doing the kinds of partnerships and projects that are similar to what you're doing? Or are they behind the curve? Are they not even doing partnerships? You know, I get why a brand like As a photographer, I get why a brand like Polaroid would seem like an attractive brand based on their legacy and history, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. This goes back to what I said about being strategic and being creative. What other brands could you work with? What other brands could help you bring your vision to life? Or, you know, how how could your project add value to to something that that brand um, or company is doing? Question number six, how do I introduce myself to a brand? Hmm. The question shouldn't be, how do I introduce myself to a brand but how do I introduce myself to a decision maker within the company? You should be looking for a real person, someone who is a stakeholder, someone who can make decisions, that should be your goal. You can use LinkedIn and other social media outlets to find them. Or if you're really serious about your craft and and what you're doing and your interest in the company, you should be reading everything that you can find. Any recent new news about the company, you should be setting up Google alerts, reading these articles and scanning to see who is the person, who is the executive that is Um, mentioned or quoted in this piece. Oh, it's the chief marketing officer. Oh, it's the brand officer. Oh, it's the communications officer. Taking that name, heading back to LinkedIn, finding their contact. You see where I'm going with this? But the point is, again, being strategic, finding a person within the brand who you can establish uh, um, communication with who you whose radar you can get in. Once you find that person, you can reach out to them as you would anyone else. But if you just want to say hello, and you don't even have a pitch together, or you don't even know what you want to say in that intro email, leave it alone. Don't even do it. You're not ready. You're not ready. <laughs> Go back to the drawing board. Think it through because these people are extremely busy. And if, you, if I get, you know, I get emails sometimes and it's like three paragraphs and I don't know what they want. What do you want? You just wanted to say, what's up? Like you just wanted to say you really like this brand. You want to do, you want to do a collaboration, but of what, when, how, why, wh- you know, have your stuff together before you reach out. But that's really what you should be thinking about when in terms of introducing yourself to a brand. Think about the people inside the company, the people inside that building, the people that make shit happen. Think about that. Question number seven. What can I do to establish myself as an influencer to brands? How do I make them want to work with me? What data or information about myself and my audience should I share? Okay. How do you establish yourself as an influencer to brands? So the way the question is even asked, you know, people go about this backwards every single day. The goal shouldn't be to be seen as an influencer. Who are you, right? What is your point of view? What kind of content are you creating to share your perspective and POV? Does it resonate with an audience? Are they asking you to do more of this thing? Do they look to you for your opinion? Do they use the products that you talk about? Or are they following your advice and then coming back to you and sharing the results? People who become influencers have made up their mind about who they are and what it is that they want to focus on. This could be one thing or it could be several things, but they are consistent and you know what to expect. A, a, today, In today's time, people literally wake up one day and say, man, I want to be an influencer too. But it's like the people who are successful now, if you, if you look at the beauty industry, they loved makeup. So they're just trying to figure out how to get better at doing makeup. They love hair. They loved, what, business. They loved, going back to the Gary Vee example, wine. So they're talking about things that they love. They didn't start their channels or their content platform or blogs because they wanted to be influencers. They started it because they just wanted to talk about something. They felt that they had a unique perspective on something and they really didn't care if anybody tuned in. That's where you should be coming from. If you want brands to pay attention to you, make sure that you're saying something or doing something that is meaningful to you and then meaningful to enough people and that would be meaningful and relevant to them. You have to be thinking about the value. What are you adding to the equation? What are you adding to the conversation? Why should anyone, let alone a whole brand, care. Those are the things that you should be thinking about. Like a lot of people haven't even figured out who they are and what they want to do in life. And they're just following the crowd and doing whatever the new popping or trendy thing is. And it's like, that's not going to work. Like you may get a little collabo. You may get a couple dollars here or there, but it's not going to be something that you are going to be able to sustain because you don't even care about it. You don't care. So I'm telling you, if I'm looking and I could tell, okay, she just clearly just doing this for a couple dollars, I'm out of there. So before you think about being seen or establishing yourself as an influencer to brands, figure out what you really want to do in life. You, If you're just out here trying to get free shit, run, you know, go to some conferences because they got free stuff tables. You know, go get go somewhere where they do handouts. I I mean, I don't know. Like you could do way less to get way more free stuff. It's a lot of work to do what you think you want to do. But I'm 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 gonna leave this one alone because I I, can get into my feelings. (laughs) So I'm gonna move to to question number eight. Do I need to pitch my full ideas in the intro email? How much information should I give up front? this is a this is a great question because most pe- most people who reach out to work with companies, they don't got no ideas. <laughs> they don't got no idea, not a single one, not one, not two, not one, not one idea. Yes, like you should be looking to answer. Any immediate questions that the person on the other end may have about the project that you're pitching. So in most cases, these executives, again, are extremely busy. So you usually only get one chance to make an impression. So you definitely don't want to be vague in your email or you don't want to say, hey, this is this is me. I got 100,000 followers and, you know, I'm I'm trying to work with you. I work with all these other people. Um, You should be next. The, the, that's a real email people really do that you should be looking to answer the who what when where why and how you should be looking to attach or link to any relevant information that might that the person might need to make a decision and then always have an ask an a-s-k for an intro call or a meeting to discuss the idea or pitch further. Again, a lot of people send emails, they say a whole bunch of stuff and a whole bunch of nothing, and they don't even ask anything. It's like, what do you want me to do? You want to talk about it? You want to do what? Like, be clear on what your ask is. Reread your pitch emails. Reread any of your emails that you're sending to people even if it's to a colleague at your job, are you actually being clear in the way that you communicate? What do you want them to do? Figure that out. And, and a lot of times people are like, I don't want to put my ideas in there because they're going to steal it. Listen, that's the name of the game. It is what it is. It comes with the territory. A lot of ideas aren't even original, so it could already be in the works. But if they're going to take it, they're going to take it. But you holding back it's going to do what? It's going to get you a lot of radio silence because people don't even know what you're trying to do. So when you pitch a brand, when you pitch um, for collaborations or any kind of project, think about if what would happen if you were reading that email. Are all your questions answered? Answer any immediate questions that person may have. Okay, we got two more questions left. I hope y'all still with me. Question number nine is... When do I, should I bring up money? This one is tricky because this is another instance when you have to remember that there is a human on the other end of this email. So if said human, if I have never heard of you before and you're reaching out to say, I want to work with your brand, I got $500 Instagram ad, I got a $500 podcast ad spot, let me know if you're interested Delete? Who who are you? How you just gonna hit me up talking about, hey girl, got this, you know, five hundred dollars, send that. Excuse me? No. But on the other hand, if you're putting together an event and you have a well fleshed out event proposal in your deck and it lists the sponsorship levels, etc., you might have more luck in getting someone to respond favorably because it's more information, right? How the but the piece that so many people miss is the well-thought-out email that outlines, again, who you are, what you're trying to do, why you want to do it with the brand you're reaching out to, how will you execute this, what is the benefit to the brand or person, etc. But if you lead with money, I can almost guarantee that you are going to be met with a no, or you're going to be met with silence. So, Think about the nature of your relationship to the person that you're pitching. If you've never pitched them before, you need to kind of open. Hi, my name is Sakita. I am the founder and CEO of House of Success PR. I am also the host of a popular business podcast called Hashtags and Stilettos. I'm doing this event. I've really I've been, you know, I've been buying your product for 10 years. So right there I'm demonstrating I didn't I didn't give you a whole lot of money. I've been buying your product on my own for 10 years and I have a highly engaged audience of people who look to me for recommendations for let's say items that can help them run their business more smoothly. And I've been using your product or your software or your service for a decade, and I want to bring it to them. Let's do something together. And boom, I done set the stage for, I already done gave you a lot of money, so I'm coming to get my money back. <laughs> no. um, but you see, you see what I'm saying? You set it up in a strategic way to let them know I'm not new to this. I have been riding with y'all. Y'all don't even know who I am, but y'all could check the receipts, look for my name, my credit card, whatever. I'm in there. I'm telling you, I'm in your system. 10 years in the game. And that just, that shifts the entire tone of where, where that can go. You know, a lot of times y'all reaching out to brands, y'all ain't even tried a damn product yet. The fuck? How? Why? But, but again, so when it comes to bringing up money, be mindful that there's another person on the other end of the conversation. There's a person on the other end of the email. Think about the nature of your relationship. If it's completely new, you need to give a lot of information before you tell them what you want from them, period. Okay, question number 10, the final question for this episode. When starting a new podcast, when should you seek out sponsorship? Should you wait until you have the numbers to prove you have an audience? If you're starting a podcast or any kind of content, something, and you don't have any prior audience or commun- community on that platform, your first focus needs to be on building your audience through consistent content, you know, being great at what you do, knowing what you're talking about. And Also, if you're thinking about starting a podcast and you don't have an audience, but the first thing you're thinking about is money, I can already tell that you're in it for the wrong reasons and that you're likely doing it because podcasting is this new, hot, and trendy thing to do, but let me tell you, this shit takes a lot of work and you're at, you're at with, with a podcast or with a blog or with uh, a video, uh, a YouTube channel, you're asking people to give you their precious time and attention. And you're focused on making a quick buck. I can already tell you content is going to be trash because you don't even care about it. You're just trying to get to the point where you can get to that dollar. And I want you to rethink your entire approach you can, I said this earlier, you can do way less and get way more money. You can do way less and get a lot of free stuff than to get into this podcasting, blogging, vlogging game to, because it's sexy, because it looked like everybody's being paid to just live. No, it takes work. So, I'm going to answer this question with a question, and again, it's what value are you adding that people will want to listen to your podcast and that a brand will want to pay for? Focus on the value part first, and the audience and money will follow. Like, I know it's cliche, but it's true. Focus on the value. A lot of the questions... I've gotten and I'm going to do a part two because I have a, a stack of other questions to answer. But a lot of questions that I've gotten is about how do you get recognition before you do the work. That was kind of like a common thread and figure out what you really, really, really love. Like if you're super passionate about Pokemon teach other people how to catch some pokemon like there's there's a whole world of pokemon go players like there's a whole world of just that if you if you love like i do french fries like if i if i didn't already have a lot on my plate i would literally be like a french fry reviewer i would set up a youtube channel and i would do french fry reviews plus the sauces once we get into the sauce game, do you know that I could be doing content for years just off sauces, french fries sauces, because that's important, not just ketchup sauces alone? So you see how how juicy my mouth got when I'm talking about french fries? That's because I really, really care about french fries. A lot of y'all out here just want to do stuff to get free stuff, but y'all don't even care about what it is. So... The best advice I can give you, find something that you are truly passionate about. And it's usually the thing that you think nobody cares about. You're like, you know, I love the, for instance, like the first girl, she asks about, she's a, she reviews books and coffee table books. I think that is bomb. I love to read. And now I'm going to go, you know, I, I've looked at her channel and I'm like, okay, let me see. I'm, I need some, some new recommendations. I can go to her and she reviews coffee table books. That is so specific. I love it. And she is going to be so successful if she does not give up. So you need to find the thing that you could do in your sleep. You could do for free. And that's kind of maybe where you need to start but don't think about money. Don't think about being an influencer, having people see you as an authority or, you know, reaching out to brands. Focus on what you love. Focus on how you can take what you love and pour into other people who love this same thing and then go from there. I hope this was helpful. Um, you know, and, and I look forward to coming back and and answering another round of questions, but I want to say thank you. If you made it this far, thank you for listening to another episode of the hashtags and stilettos podcast. If you love this episode, please give it a five-star rating and leave a review on Apple podcasts, or you can drop a comment on SoundCloud. If you haven't listened to episode 33, that's the five things you should know about brand partnerships. I'm telling you, it's so good. It's so, it's so good. You have to listen to that like right now. And if you're sharing or talking about this episode online, please be sure to use the hashtag hashtags and so that I'll see it. And remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S success. Talk to you soon.